Charles Louis Mortgage Advisors, 0161 959 0166. Hello and welcome to the latest uh, Forever Blue podcast. Uh, my name is Ian Cheeseman and I really appreciate all the people who, uh, who listen to the, the podcast uh, and who, of course, watch the, the video extracts that sometimes we put up on YouTube as well. And thanks for sharing and retweeting and all that sort of thing. It really makes a difference. And subscribing, of course, which is free, which means you get notified every time a new podcast becomes available, which we generally record on a Sunday in the UK. Um, I, I should introduce my guest now at this point. But first of all, just a quick mention for charleslouis.co.uk, who are chartered, chartered mortgage advisors, who are the sponsors of the podcast. And I'm very much indebted to them for keeping the podcast going. They, of course, advise on mortgage arrangements. If you are commercial or you're private, either way, then give them a call. The number was there at the beginning of the podcast. You can find them at their website, charleslouis.co.uk. And as well as buying and selling properties, both commercially and privately, they also advise on mortgages. And they are locally based to the Manchester area, but I'm sure they will give you advice even if you're further afield. So check them out and, uh, and thank them as well, by the way, for supporting the podcast. Now, the two main guests, and that's no disrespect to the other two, but the two main guests who are on the podcast today are brothers. Uh, and they played together at City. Uh, one, Ian, played for a long, long time. He's probably had more appearances than most other players who've actually played for the club and is still these days an ambassador and uh, you'll see him on match days. I saw him briefly yesterday as he walked along with Richard Edgel and that, of course, is Ian Brightwell. But his brother David is with us as well. Uh, David is a serving uh, fire, fire server, firefighter. And, uh, and he is on call right now, sitting in the fire station. So if he's got to go suddenly, you'll know why. If you start seeing the, the, uh, the alarms going off, hearing the alarms going off, that's why. Uh, we've also got uh, Nigel Klukas, who you might know as Wingman from City Square, who's with us, and Louisa, one of the regulars from the River Blue team. So we'll join them. We'll get them two to come in a little bit later on now. Quite ordinarily in the podcast, we start off with looking at last game, which is the Fulham game, and, and make it all very topical to begin with. But because we don't know if David's going to get called away suddenly, I'm going to do it the other way around today and, and talk to them two specifically about their time together and their career. So Ian and David, thanks very much for joining me. Now, though, I've talked to your parents, um, Anne and Robbie, on several occasions in the past. I've done sort of Desert Island Discs with them. So I know all about them. But there will be people, and there are a lot of people who subscribe to this podcast, who, uh, who come from further afield from other countries around the world, who might not know the, the story of, of and, and the rich sporting history that your parents have. So just briefly... It can be either of you, um, you know, whether it's the older brother or the little brother. But either way, will one of you tell us briefly the story of, of Robbie and Anne, your parents? OK, should I take this one then, Cheesy? Um, yeah, this both... is Ian, by the way, who's, Ian, who's yeah. now going to tell us this one. <laughs> uh, the older brother, but the shorter of the two brothers. <laughs> older in age, but shorter. Um, yeah, mum and dad, they, uh, uh, Robbie Brightwell, and Packer, as was before they got married, um, both international athletes. Um, Dad was European champion, European record holder, 400 metres. 
Um, he was the Great Britain Team GB captain, the 1964 Olympics. Um, he went on to win a silver medal in the 4x400 relay, and he was the anchor man in that. And my mum, who was uh, Anne Packer at the time, they got that the Olympics was in the October and they got married in the December, but they'd been engaged a couple of years previous to that. Uh, mum got a silver medal in the 400 metres, and then she went on to get a gold medal and a world record time in the 800 metres. And uh, yeah, we're obviously very, very proud of them. So you come from a rich sporting heritage. Um... What, what's that like? I mean, before you, you ever become a sportsman or sports person yourself, uh, is there an, an enormous pressure? Perhaps David can tell us about that. I mean, you, you obviously were very aware of the breeding that you come from. Did that put an enormous pressure on you, David? I, I don't think it did, Cheesy, to be honest, because more than anything, we were in a different sport as well from, from what they were. So we weren't trying to follow in their footsteps. Um, when we were growing up, it was, you know, I was born 71, Ian was 68. So um, it had been 15, 20, 15 years, 10 years, uh, 15 years plus since, since they'd won and since they'd raced. And it, I wouldn't say it had all gone quiet and that, but there wasn't a lot of interest in, in them so much at that time. They'd sort of died down. Um, athletics... Uh, it was a, a reasonably popular sport, but it, it wasn't massively popular. But growing up, you know, to us, obviously, they were just mum and dad. You know, they'd do an occasional thing um, for a telly or, or something like that. But we, I, I certainly didn't feel pressure following in their footsteps because we weren't doing that, <clears throat> excuse me, because we were going into a different sport. Now, our eldest brother, Gary, who's three years older than Ian, was an athlete for a bit. You know, he used to race against Roger Black and, and Derek Redmond around that time. He, he was a very talented athlete. Um, he didn't carry on from sort of 18, 19, uh, but he probably would have felt more pressure in his in his sporting endeavours because he was following, and, and probably people expect him or he should win because he's from an Olympic silver medalist and Olympic gold and silver medalist. So he should win all the time. And it, I think that's the only thing, you know, people take for granted what me and Ian did. Um, and it's, it's expected a little bit because people say, oh, well, you know, you had a great start in life and, and the genes have passed on, which they did. But, you know, I, I, didn't, I don't know, Ian will tell you himself, but I didn't feel pressure to do well in football because of them. And Ian, you were always known as a, as a player for having great stamina. When you come from two great athletes was that something a label that you wished you didn't have and I mean the other one was versatility you know you could play anywhere um were, all, were either of those labels things that bugged you when you were a player no not at all if anything they they helped me because they mentioned it there about um, the genes getting passed down um and I actually started I did quite a lot of athletics between the age of probably 14 and uh, 16 or 17 when I signed it City and the reason I did athletics was to get myself fit for football. So when I went into the pre-season uh, training in uh, in the first year, which was 1985 at City, I actually found it relatively easy is the wrong word, but relatively comfortable doing the uh, all the hard pre-season training. 
which by the way is nothing like what they do now. It's uh, back, back then it was, if, if the coaches had made you sick, then that's a good training session. Uh, so from, from that point of view, no, it's, uh, it was a real, it was a helping hand. And uh, it, it, again, Dave said it before, we weren't going into a, a sport where mum and dad had excelled in. We'd gone into a totally different sport. So different things were ex expected of us. Um, I think it must be hard if uh, David touched on it with my brother, my older brother, Gary, or our older brother. Um, I think he'd have found it difficult going into athletics, but people like, I know Nick Summerby, for instance, at, at, at City, you know, he had so much expectation because of, uh, because of his dad. Um, and he was actually a different type of player than his dad, uh, but Nick was a really good player, but there was always that pressure for him to succeed, which I don't think me and Dave really got that. When you broke into the first team, um, was David sort of, well, this is a question to both of you, I guess, you know, sort of looking at what you were achieving and thinking that'll be the next step for me. Was it, was it assumed that you would both progress, albeit three years apart, into the same environment? It, it wasn't cheesy, really, because uh, our paths to, to the club were a little bit different. Um, Ian was going to go and do a YTS as it was then. Um, or was it apprenticeship it was then? Uh, and he, he went to school and started his A-levels. And then after a few months, decided that wasn't for him. So he went and joined as an apprentice, you know, with Steve Redmond and, uh, and all those, Paul Molden and that. Uh, whereas I stayed at school and did my A-levels um, and I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say it's guaranteed because no one's guaranteed, but Ian had a, like from 16, 17, you always knew that he was going to play for the first team at City uh, and have a good career out of it. Whereas um, I wanted to concentrate on my studies and if that, if something came of that from a football point of view, and I, then I would obviously grasp that with both hands. But I stayed on at school. Um, it was funny, really. I found a payslip the other day because uh, my apprentices at my time, Jerry Taggart, Ashley Ward, uh, Neil Lennon, uh, people like that, that again went on to have good careers. But I think they'd be earning £27.50 at the time for seven days a week, you know, doing all the jobs and boots and everything. And I actually signed a semi-professional contract when I was uh, 16, and they gave me 20 quid a week. And all I had to do was play in the A-team on a Saturday. You know, I didn't have to train every day. I didn't have to do boots and anything like that. And it was only £7.50 a week worse off than then. So I loved that. Um, and then got to finish my A-levels, got to 18. And uh, the club offered me a one-year professional contract. By which time Ian had obviously uh, established himself in the first team and probably played 100 games by then. Uh, so to get back to your, your original question, we had little different routes into the club, um, but I, I looked at Ian and, and saw what he'd achieved and obviously wanted to emulate that in some way. How does sibling rivalry work between the two of you? You know, is the mickey taking? Was the, you know, one of you having a go at the other one? I mean, how did that work between the two of you? Uh, well, there was, we, we, um, we're three brothers. We've got an older brother, Gary. So there was always that competition in whatever we did, you know, whether it was football, cricket, running, playing drafts, you know, so we were always arguing and bickering like, like probably anyone that's got brothers and sisters know. Um, 
but yeah, there's all that competi- competition. But um, we all wanted each other to do well as well. You know, whatever they, they did or we did. Um, so for me, it was it was good to see Dave come through. Um, I say he came from a, a, through a different pathway, but it was great when he got offered that contract, uh, that first one year. But then you've still got to to work and achieve another contract after that. Um, I, you mentioned it earlier, Cheesy, about you know was it kind of easy for us to get in, you know, just because of who our parents was. And the answer to that is no, because you've still got to work hard to be any type of uh, professional athlete. You've still got to put the hard work in. And, um, you know, we knew we had to do that. And then not only have you got to do it to get your first contract, you've got to do it again to get your second contract. You've got to get it uh, and keep continuing it. I always remember Tony Buck and uh, Glyn Pardo said to us when we were or when I was an apprentice and he said it to all the lads to be fair and he said uh, unless you play five games on the trot in the first team you're not going to be a a regular so you play five games on the trot and then they'd come up to you you know in the tight and say you know you're you're not a player until you've played 15 games so you'd go back and you'd try and get 15 games on the trot. And every time made up the level of what they, they expected from you, even though we weren't in the youth team at that time, they keep their expectations were unbelievably high. And that's, they helped, again, they'll have done the same with Dave, say Tony Buck, Glyn Pardo, Ken Barnes. Um, they're a massive part of certainly my um, path into football. And even after that, you know, it's um, and I still see Tony Buck uh, most match days because uh, he's he's still going, and he's still the, the, the same bloke. Unfortunately, we've uh, we've lost Glenn and, uh, and and Ken, but from the from footballing terms, they've you know they're the biggest influence on my career. And and also, sorry sorry to interject there, but from a life point of view as well, there are so many so many skills that you learn from them. You know about hard work, whatever you do. You know, I've gone on. Onto a different career now, and you know what they, what their values were and what they instilled in us, I still carry to this day. And you know whether they would, I won't say get away with it, but they were sort of good cop, bad cop. Uh, Glenn was the man who, you know, he'd have a chat while at halftime during the game, and you'd see Skip stood behind, and Skip would be getting redder and redder in the face, and you just knew what was coming. But they were a brilliant balancing act between the two of them. Um, Skip would be, you know, he'd be the more fierce of the two uh, and have a go. But you only have to look at the people that came through over over that period. And, you know, I started off with Ken Barnes, who was obviously the chief scout at the time. You only have to see the people that came through. And if you speak to any of those lads now, or 99% of the lads now that, that came through in that period, they would say that that was... They were they were two major influences on their careers in football. Well, let, let me now. Obviously, I want to bring uh, Louisa and, and Nigel in in a second, and we'll talk about more contemporary issues. So let me let me now ask you, David, for your highlight at City. I think you played um, in the end just under a hundred games. Uh, you were a defender, a uh, big, strong defender. Probably didn't want to, didn't fulfil the potential that you might have wanted to in your career, but you still played for City and you played with your brother. So, so what would stand out as the the highlight for you? I think there'd be, there'd be I'd struggle to say just one. I think the debut coming at half time 
against Wimbledon, which was the Wimbledon and Fashnu and Jones and all those. And I actually came on for Ian, I think Ian mm. um, came off at half time and I came on. So that would be one. My home debut the following week uh, against Aston Villa, playing against Cyril Regis and Dwight York. We actually won 2 0. Uh, and then the third one, which if, if I had to choose between the three, it would be the goal against Newcastle. Um, you know, we'd had a bit of a tough time and and we were struggling a bit in the league. Uh, and, then, and then that was the goal that sort of guaranteed us staying in the Premier League. We beat them 2-1, we were 1-0 down and then Walsh scored. And then I was lucky enough to score the, the second goal and the winner that sort of kept us, or guaranteed us that we were going to stay in the Premier League. So that that would be my... If I had to pick one out of those three, that would be it. And for you, David, what was it like playing with your brother? We didn't play that many games together because when I broke into the first team, um, Ian had a patella tendon knee problem for quite a while. Uh, I think he missed sort of 14, 15 months. And they were struggling to diagnose it at first. But uh, we probably played, probably played six or seven games together. I'm not sure exactly how many. Um, I think it also helped... You know, you said about the rivalry earlier, also we played in different positions. You know, if we, if we were both centre-forwards or both centre-halves, <laughs> you know, I think there would have been more of a rivalry there. But, you know, I was I was a centre-half, really. Brian Horton, a lot of the games that I played, I played at left-back. Um, and, you know, Ian would play anywhere. So so he, he started off in midfield and then moved back as he, as he got a bit older. But... Uh, yeah, it was it. We just treated each other like teammates. It wasn't any different from any other teammates, really. You know, we weren't. We travelled into to training together, but uh, you know, we're we're obviously close, but we're probably closer now than we were at that time. Uh, it's funny, really, but uh, we we travel in the car forty minutes to, to Main Road or, or to Platt Lane, and we wouldn't say a word to each other some days, um, but. You know, as you go on and, and as you get older, you develop different relationships. And I obviously left um, and, and went to other clubs and Ian stayed for longer than me. But, uh, yeah, it was all, it's a great thing, you know, to tell our kids that we played in the first team together. That that's the main thing for me, really. Absolutely. Very proud for the for the Brightwell family, that. Um, what about you? What, what was your... I mean, my highlight, which I've mentioned to you before, Ian, is... That scream you scored at Old Trafford is—is is that your highlight? I mean, you—you you must have more than that. Yeah, that's that's certainly one of them, if not uh, the one cheesy. I think I, when we first started, we won the FA Youth Cup, which was the first time that City had ever done that in the eighty-five, eighty-six season. And there was a lot of players that played in that team. I think seven, seven of us went on to play for the City first team and have uh, long careers. Uh, there was uh, myself, Stevie Redmond, Andy Hinchcliffe, David White, um, Paul Molden. Uh, Ian, Lakey. Yeah, Ian Scott, Lakey. You know, there was seven of them. And we, we did actually play, and you'll probably correct me if I'm wrong on this, but we did all play in the on one occasion, maybe more, in the same first team. Um, so to think that, I mean, that would never happen now. Um, just because of you know the finances of the, of the club are so different, I don't think it, that would happen at any club. But for for the club to get that many youth team players to play in the first team, and say Dave mentioned it before about other players that had come through and gone on uh, to play at 
other clubs like people like you know the Jerry Taggarts and the John Beresford at, at, at Newcastle he was a year older Paul Simpson Earl Barrett I mean the list is is immense what came through so to be part of that FA Youth Cup uh, winning side was fantastic then the debut which was against Wimbledon funnily enough and that was the first team first time Wimbledon had got played in the the old first division again it was you know Vinnie Jones um, the, the fashion news, all that crew, the crazy gang, um, and of course the five-one game where we beat beat them at uh, at Main Road. That was an unbelievable day. That was because they they just signed uh, Paul Ince and uh, Gary Pallister and one of the Wallace boys, you know, and they paid big money for him. You know, record transfer fees for for a defender for for uh, Pallister, uh, Paul Ince again went on to have a, a great career so they had big expectations and we went and demolished them at 5-1 at Main Road so that's definitely a highlight and later that season or in the February of that season um, I scored the equaliser at Old Trafford against against yeah the Reds <laughs> I can't swear can I but yeah uh, but that's a I think it was the anniversary of that the other day I think I think it was 30 is it 31 years or 30 years I think 32 I was years. dead in line with the shot as well. I had a great view of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't explain the, the story because I'll, I'll have to swear. But it was uh, it, it was an interesting story because the ball came across. Mark Ward had tried to cross the ball. Uh, it got deflected out to me, and all heard from behind me at centre half was Steve Redmond. And I won't swear, cheesy, so I won't ruin the program. He <laughs> shouted. Effing hit hit it just so say that so I did and it went in and uh, you know I didn't really know what to do so my celebration I just ran around like like a lunatic and then after the game I got interviewed by ITV I think it was and they said to me can you talk me through the goal so I thought well I can't say what I've just kind of said to you. Hence the, the phrase, so I said, the ball came across to me and I just wellied it. So that's where the phrase came from because I couldn't tell the, the reporter exactly what Steve Redmond had told me to do with it. But yeah, happy days, really, uh, really good memories. And I say I loved every single minute that I, that I had at City and I'm lucky enough to be involved there now, um, week in, week out, and watching such a brilliant team. And it's, uh, it is, it's wonderful to watch and Fantastic to be involved in. You hit that goal with your wrong foot as well, didn't you? Well, it could have gone anywhere. You know that cheesy. <laughs> they, it was. It just. It just fell nicely. And yeah. And uh, Tony Buck always used to say, and David will back this up. When we did shooting practice, he always used to say, "A nice slow strike." So it is coming onto me left foot. So I thought, you know, literally this could go anywhere. So I just thought, nice slow strike, and I just. Struck it and I, you know, obviously flushed it. And uh, next minute, it was in the back of the net. So yeah, yeah, great days. Perfect, perfect. Uh, final question before we, we talk more contemporary. Um, why do you have the nickname Bob? Steve Redmond again. We were when we were apprentices. Um, uh, Steve's dad's called Tony, and my dad Robbie. So Steve just one day called me Bob. So I called him Tony and then it just stuck. And before I knew it, everybody was calling me Bob, Bob Brightwell. And uh, it, 
to, to this day, everyone, certainly with, uh, within City, uh, people call me Bob. You know, they never call me Ian. It's it's always Bob, but it's, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. But it was so innocuous how it came about. You know, it just, it, it, I don't know, it just sounded good, I suppose. And, uh, yeah, it was Steve Redmond that, that thought of it. I always call you Ian because I value the name Ian, <laughs> being an Ian myself. So that's why I always call you Ian, Ian. Thank, thanks, Ian. <laughs> now, the other two have been listening to this. I'm just I'm just curious. I mean, neither of you two are old enough, really. I don't suppose to have, have, have watched the Brightwells. Are you old enough, Louisa? You don't look it. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember him, Louisa? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, just sort of not <laughs> my age away. That's all. I've got, I've got a good surgeon. No, I'm joking. And I, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm joking. Yeah, I, I had a lot of pleasure, you know, watching the boys. Um, and you know, as soon as you said their name, I felt I had to come on this podcast. Um, you know, my dad used to take me to Main Road when I was a little girl, and um, you know, and there weren't many girls or many female fans, you know, back in the day. And uh, I loved it, and I love watching it all, and um, I'm really proud and pleased that both of you played for our team and our club you know and um I've, I've loved the goals that you you both got had goals and especially Ian's um kind of I don't want to get a cheeky question in because um I kind of want to know as well that the sense of achievement that you've talked about when you've scored the goals you know as defenders have you got the same sense of achievement for any goal you you've stopped or prevented or saved a match you know saved an important match or done something pivotal as a defender that's given you given you the same sense of of joy and achievement that's a really good question louise um better than any of mine that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> um nothing uh springs to mind to be honest but i'm going to tell a story about david while he's got and it wasn't for man city but as a defender um he scored when we was at carlisle and uh, you, you might know the story but um, they were on the brink of going down out of the football league and um, they were losing 1-0 and there wasn't very long in the game to go. And David went um, went up for a corner and he headed the ball in to make it 1-1, which wasn't going to be enough. Um, but the last kick of the game, Carlisle had a corner and Jimmy Glass, the Carlisle goalkeeper, went up the ball came across and Jimmy Glass put the ball in the back of the net and, and saved Carlisle from getting relegated. And it's, I'm quite rightly, I suppose, like Jimmy gets all the all the praise for it. But if David hadn't scored his goal as a defender, um, that wouldn't have happened and Carlisle wouldn't have been been saved. What well, I'm going to say that was... In 99, you, you know, and I don't want to talk about United, but, you know, everyone remembers Solskjaer scored the winner, but Sheringham's goal obviously made it 1-1 and without that, and mine, mine was exactly the same. You know, without that one, it, it would have finished 2-1. So that's 1-1. Uh, so that's, it's nice of Ian to say. But getting back to your original question, I, I still coach. I, I just get involved. I don't, um, I don't coach coach uh, with my boys, 12-year-olds now. And I try and explain to them, because I, I loved obviously scoring goals, but I didn't score many. But I would get as much pleasure from a performance, as you say, from throwing yourself in front of something in the last minute to, to keep a goal out and stuff like that. And I say to the boys now, not everyone can be centre-forwards and, and attacking midfielders scoring goals. And it is just as important. And I, I tell them it's even more important to be a good defender 
and to stop goals going in. Because if you don't score, if you keep a clean sheet, you're going to get a draw. You know, if you're conceding three, four goals every week, puts pressure on everyone else to, to score four or five. And, you know, if you start the basis of stuff like that, and it, again, with Tony Buck and Glenn Pardo, this was drilled into us. You can't always win games, but you can you can try your best to keep a clean sheet. And I used to get as much pleasure from a clean sheet as, as scoring a goal. Um, so that that was a really good question. And that really resonated with me. Yeah. I mean, that, going back to, sorry, Louise, I'll just carry on from what Dave said there. Thinking a game as well. I mean, I... and. You know, when you've got have the crowd at Main Road, if you put in a big tackle or a big crunching tackle, the buzz you'd get out of that from the crowd because I know the crowd like it. And um, you know, we used to we were encouraged to tackle, and uh, it doesn't happen so much now. But even nowadays, when there isn't so much tackling in the game, you know, you, the crowd get a buzz of it because they just want you to see T giving a hundred percent. But the buzz you'd get out of it from the crowd reacting to a you know a you know even if you. It's a last-ditch tackle and putting it out for a throw-in, or uh, as Dave says, a, a block or a challenge, or even better if you could like real put a big heavy tackle in someone, clean tackle. It was a it was a great feeling. No, I, mean, I think that the, um, the the defenders in our team right now are, are getting a lot of excitement around them because, you know, you can be watching a game and, and getting such a thrill out of watching how fast Kyle Walker can make oh, his yeah. way back to stop the ball. Or when we had Vincent, you know, and the tackles that he put in and, and Fernandinho now. And even yeah. I think that the love for Zinchenko, become my love for him, because of what, you know, he, he, he was like Huey and he, he moved position he changed position and and he might not have been the greatest defender on the planet because that wasn't his natural position but what a performance he's put in as a defender and that was just such an excitement to me and you know and Ian will agree in a lot of these podcasts we've done I will sort of always maintain that I feel like a captain should be on that back line they should be in that defense um, because they have the vision they can see the pitch they can see the game playing out um, and, and it's such a commanding important role to be on the back line line so I really love those stories but sorry Ian you were going to just say something else. If I could just come in again it's a massive skill that, that has been lost a bit in the game tackling and stuff like that and I remember you know we were lucky enough he was coming to the end of his career but Steve McMahon came to Man City who was a, a, not only a, a, a tough bloke he was a really good player as well you know and uh, when Liverpool were winning stuff in the 80s and 90s you know he was a big part of that and he he came and he always used to recognise. And sometimes if it was a bit flat at Main Road, you know, and the backs were a bit quiet, he'd go and smash somebody. You know, he'd put in one of those tackles and a crack and it'd lift everyone and something would happen. And from that, you know, everyone would be up for it a bit more after that. And there's, there's a massive skill because if you do what, what we would consider a decent tackle nowadays, you're likely to get booked, if not worse. And things look worse in slow motion, you know, on VAR and stuff like that. So, but but it was a massive part of the game when we played was tackling, and it, it has been lost a, a bit, which is to the detriment of the game, I think. But there you go. Absolutely. And I think we've got um, and the continuing that into the modern game, the, the players we've got at the, at the back and going from Vinnie Company, as, as uh, Louisa said. I mean. He was the type of player as well. He'd, he'd do the tackling, and but that goal against Leicester that he scored, you know, when the pressure was on, and this is where you need your big, big players 
And uh, that for me was the the highlight of Vinny's immense career that he, he had at, uh, at City. Um, you know, he did he, he could actually do anything. Um, but to come up because we it, we did not look like winning that game. Um, but he's he's come out, he's taken responsibility, and uh, yeah, he's he's won the, the game. And for me, like my memories of Vinny not only as a you know one of the best players City have ever had would be that goal for him. Well, on uh, obviously going back to what that, that goal that David scored for Carlisle, I, I'd, I'd be more likely to draw the parallel with Kevin Horlock in '99 or Jekko in 2012, just so we get the the balance better. Now, Nigel, uh, you've been sitting yeah. there now for half an hour listening to all this. Well, I've been enjoying it, mate. I was like, Cavs could just sit here all day. It's, it's brilliant listening to the guys tell stories of. of uh, Great times, for, you know, like when I when I first started going to City with my dad and my granddad, uh, these guys were uh, were doing the business, and it was it was amazing as that, that like Ian said, as that as that bunch of local lads and northwest lads started to come through and represent City from that from that youth level. It was ace. Now you you interview a lot of players, uh, you know, you're on stage in City Square every week, uh, and obviously you're a professional broadcaster anyway. Um, what, what, when you listen to to what I would describe as, as fairly humble sort of ex-City players with the history that they've got with the club, how do you feel? I mean, I, I, I can only admire these two. Well, that's it. It's... Um... I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easier, but at the end of your career, when you look back and you can pick out the highlights and talk about it, it's amazing to pick out those special memories, isn't it? And obviously, when you speak to players now, you, you, you're limited with your time you get with them, and it's it's more than likely just a quick, uh, you know, how were you feeling before the game? How was the game? And blah, blah, blah. Whereas the beauty of this and, and podcasts when you get... Uh, you know, City players like this on to tell us the, the whole story, uh, not just at City, but at, at the other clubs that they played for as well. It's it's one of the fascinating things about, about podcasts. It's, it's wonderful to listen to. Well, have you got a question, Nigel? You, the floor is yours now. We've had, uh, we've you know, had Louisa becoming uh, Jeremy yeah. Craxman there. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, do you know what? I, for me, I've I've um, I've, I've loved listening. I've I've spoke. I've I speak to Ian when I see him walking around and and uh, talking to some of the some of the people in hospitality and stuff. And I often like to sp- to stop and speak to him and uh, and and Andy Morrison and and uh, you know it's just great to listen to the stories. But he's already told you of his story of scoring that goal. And uh, I I was gonna I was gonna get him to tell us the the truth of what was said as he as he hit that. that amazing strike but he's told us that one which is great so for me then I'll just talk from a defensive point of view I mean the amount the quality of the delivery from the defenders going forwards now some of the assists and you know it's it's wonderful and in the modern game we see that a lot more now the defender getting forward and putting in balls as just just on a plate for the for the strikers and 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 the midfielders or you know, should we say our, our number nine or whatever we've got playing up front or in the in the uh, in midfield on that game? But yeah, what what do you think about the delivery of some of the you know Concello and uh, Walker as we mentioned before? I think it's a lot different. The modern game now, what you tended to find when we played, defenders were generally defenders, and if you could play as well, that was a massive bonus. Yeah. Um, whereas now, I think all players are like, or most of them are like. Midfielders, wingers, strikers, stuff like that, and they get to play in defence. And 
because they don't really need to tackle that much. But they're all fantastic players, as you say. I, I was there yesterday and, and we were right behind Cancelo when he put in the goal, for, uh, across for the first goal. You know, and he's outside of the foot, he's on the byline, outside of his right foot, crosses it to the far post, Mares, you know, controls it, great touch, passes it back across. And as you say, the standard of, of players now going forward is unbelievable. Cancelo never looks like he's going to lose it. You know, his left foot, right foot, he's, he's right footed playing left back. You would never know who he was. Kyle Walker's on the other side, you know, he's, he's quick as well and great strike on him, you know, if, if you can get forward, you know, he's got a great strike on him. Uh, and he, even the centre-halves, you know, they're all comfortable on the ball, they can all come out with it. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a different game now from when we played, but it is great to watch him and, and see how what good players they are. And yeah. A perfect per player for this era would be you, Ian, wouldn't it? Because you know, you've got to be able to be a defender and an attacker and a midfielder all combined into one to fit into a Pep Guardiola team, haven't you? I appreciate that, <laughs> Cheesy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be fair, the, um, I mean, things, the game has moved on so much. Um, but one thing that allows players to play so much um, is the, the state of the pitches. The pitches are literally like bowling greens now. There isn't a blade of grass out of place so it allows those top players to be able to to knock it about and you watch the way the city play they're just like cruising with it and teams are putting you know the 11 players behind the ball but they're still managing to break teams down okay some games it might take a little bit longer um but it it goes back to like uh, Nigel's just said that like the delivery and they've got players throughout the team that can deliver that and the the players um, coming from the back, and then of course you got like Kevin De Bruyne. He's, I mean, the amount of assists he's got, I don't know. You know, it's in, incredible. Um, again, left foot, right foot, and the players are all on the same wavelength. So they, they, all the players need to do that are crossing the ball. Then just put it into an area, and they're more or less certain that one of the other lads will be at the end of it. You know, a lot of the time it's usually a tap in. I mean, look at. Uh, Sterling, the amount of, I say tapping, you know, he's coming in at the far post and the ball's been whipped into a good area and he'll just literally tap it in. Um, and that's all because each and every of those players know what the other one's doing and uh, they're, they're all on the same wavelength. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Let me ask you all this question, but more contemporary now, which is a question I've, I've been asking in the podcast for a week or two now, and I suppose it won't go away until something more firm is committed by Pep Guardiola or the club, but does the, the fact that we're now, I think, 16 months from the end of Pep Guardiola's contract worry any of you? Let, let's start with Nigel, because Nigel was the last one to contribute to this podcast. So um, so let's see, hear yeah. what you've got to say about that, Nigel. I mean, is, do you think, you know, is that a concern for you as a fan? Because the bottom of the line is you're a fan, aren't you, like us? Yeah. Um, first of all, I mean, how good has it been? It's been, it's been amazing having Pep um, in charge at City. There was a time when you, you couldn't imagine having a manager like that. Um, being the manager of our club and it's it's amazing uh, the way that he's transformed uh, the good work that Pellegrini did and Mancini before I mean he's just took it up another level um, and 
Oof, I, I, I dread to think what's going to happen when he's when he's uh, when he's not in charge. There was a period of time a while ago when you everybody just thought that um, Arteta was potentially going to be um, his, his his number two, and he it was going to be just handing over the reins to him. And obviously, he's gone to Arsenal now. And there's been a couple. There's been a, a bit of shuffling around his his assistant uh, with uh, obviously somebody parting over to to New York City as well, but. I don't know. There's a way that City are playing, uh, from what I hear and from what I see. I'm not an expert on this, but I do believe that every level at the club, they're playing the same kind of football, the same kind of formula. Um, They've obviously got plans uh, in place, I'm sure, uh, for what will happen if he leaves. Um, But who knows? I mean, if he wants to stay in club football, I know it's... uh, I mean, it's not the warmest place in the world, but it's a great city, and there is no better place uh, with a better, uh, tr- better training facilities, better youth system coming through. Uh, if you were going to move anywhere, I don't know where you'd go and why you'd leave Man City. There's talk of him potentially maybe going and doing uh, a national, being in charge of a national team. That might be one of the reasons that he leaves. He might just want a well-deserved break, but. Um, I just think with the relationship he's got with the board, um, if he's going to move anywhere, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he, I think there's a chance that he might stay, and uh, I'm sure that if he does leave, it'll be left in in more than capable hands. But I don't know. It's a worry uh, for me as well. Getting if we do end up getting a striker in, if we get a Haaland or whatever, surely with these major signings that we're going to make in the in the summer window. Um, a lot of the the pull would be to work with Pep Guardiola as well. So I mean, it's uh, that that maybe is a worry as well. But I don't know. At the minute, I just I'm just enjoying it and loving having Pep Guardiola in charge of City. It's it's wonderful. I'm sure everybody on this podcast and everybody that's listening would all agree that we all want Pep to stay basic for the next 20 years or something. But um, yeah. I was watching the, the, the press conference on Friday and he was being asked questions about the signing of Alvarez, um, the extension of the contracts of Cancelo, Macatee, um, you know, other young players who've, whose contracts have been extended. And maybe I'm being, you know, a, a, a typical journalist here, but I was listening very carefully to how he was answering those questions. And he was he was very careful in the words that he was using, you know, when they were saying, you know, are you really pleased that Cancelo's committing to another four or five years? You'll have him for quite a few years. And he would answer something like, and, and I'm not saying this exactly, but I'm paraphrasing slightly, but the way I was interpreting it was, yes, it's a good signing for the club. The club will benefit from that. And I thought, why do you keep emphasising the club? And wouldn't it be more natural for you to say, yes, I'm delighted he'll be around. You know, um, it's great to work with a player like that and hope it continues on for many years sort of thing. And, and he gave the same sort of answer to McAtee. And, and that, that slightly concerns me. Now, I don't suppose you had, will have had access to the full press conference, um, Louisa, but it, 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 you, do you, you have a view on, on, on Pep and, and longevity? You know, you, I know you're a student of sort of psychology and whatnot. I don't mean you're, a, I don't mean you're at university studying it, you know, but I know you like that sort of thing. Do you, do you see anything in his body language uh, that might give us a clue as to his longevity at the Blues? 
No, not at all, really. I think it's being nice and neutral um, and, and possibly putting the, the thoughts of players being attracted to the club uh, in the rightful place that that if they're going to come to Manchester City, it should be to play for Manchester City and not to play for Pep Guardiola because if that is the case, then we might struggle to get some amazingly great signings and names in the future. So I feel that from a PR you know, point of view, he's he's hitting the nail on on the right head. You know, um, so so it's great that he's being he's he keeps drawing the focus back to Manchester City because at the end of the day, um, you know, he, he he could come and go, and we don't want players coming just because of him. We want players to come because of us. Um, and so no, it's great. I think he's wonderful. Um, and I also feel like we know what contracts are like. They can be to a certain date, but really, what does that mean in this day and age anyway? Contracts can be you know torn up and thrown out the window um I do not like the day when I think he will leave only because who will we get in his place who who at this moment in time who can replace him it has to be somebody with a very similar method of coming in with something very new and very different but also having the ability to change uh, when those methods stop working you know we did go through a period of, of, a, of a bit of a not a lull but when teams were at were, were on top of us they knew what we were going to do and we were losing games and we lost the championship um, but this season something's changed again in Pep he's picked up something new something different's happening and the greatest thing that he has done for that team this season that I can see when I sit at home in my little armchair watching, um, is that there was a point, if you remember, when one player played on the pitch and then there was another player that they played really well together and the game went great and, and people would feel it would be a good, good result. Now, pretty much every single player can play with the other one. I'm not scared at looking at who, who's on the team sheet that day anymore. I feel very confident in, in the team he's chosen now. I have no doubts, no, no fears, because I now know that such a body can play with such a body and they can play with them and Sterling can play on the left. Oh, look, he can play on the right. Oh, so can Jesus. He can play on the right. Hey, who knew? You know, um, just fabulous confidence in the guy now because he can, he can change his own ways. He can learn himself. And he can still make a massive positive influence on this team. Um, but I'm just fearful for who might replace him. Who is that good, really? Ian, you walk around the, um, on match days. Do you ever, you ever bump into Pep? Have you ever met him? Do you, you get that opportunity in your ambassadorial role? No. Simple answer to that. No, it's um, the, uh, the players and, and staff have kept very much you know, as a, a, a unit, um, even before COVID, you know, they, they've all got the, the, the set routines. They'll get off the coach, they'll get off the bus, they'll walk in down the blue carpet. Um, we used to stand near the main entrances, former players and ambassadors, and um, they, they would, to be fair, a lot of them, I mean, a lot of them wouldn't even know who the hell we were, which is fine, you know, it's not a problem, but people like, you know, Brian Kidd, you know, he'd always say hello, Vinnie Company always used to, say hello but generally um they're all focused on the game and they play the game 
they do what they need to do on the pitch and then they go home and they do what they do in the in their own uh, personal life and you must find as a, a journalist and Louise as well and and uh, Nige it's almost impossible to get a some type of interview or any type of contact with them and if you do you you're very lucky and you know you take the the opportunity that, that you get it isn't like the old days where um say cheesy for instance you used to wait outside the play, players entrance you know you'd do your bit on the radio if you wanted to catch us after you just literally grab us and uh, do an interview but that's impossible to do now just because the way the the game is so I mean, it's unfortunate that because I'd love to meet Pep, you know, I'd love to, you know, just have, have five minutes with him just to pick his brain. You know, they, they, they say um, if you could sit at a table and have dinner with somebody, you know, past or present, um, he'd certainly be one that I'd have on the table. What about you, Dave? I mean, I, I'm not asking you whether you've uh, you've met Pep. We'll, we'll take that as, as a no, but no, how, no. How, how vital is he? I mean, do, do you, looking from the outside, I know you two boys were born in Lutterworth, so in neither of I suppose you would claim that you were sort of born into being City fans, but because of your connection with the club and both having played with the club, I'm sure they're still very dear to your heart, um, so you'll be concerned about the future of Pep. Is that something that now means that City are in the sort of Fergie years of once he goes, Pep, that, that you know, it'll be such a huge change that, that the anxiety levels build up as we come towards the end of his time at City? It's a, it's a difficult one because if we get back to what you were saying earlier about his press conference Friday, was it? Yeah. See, I, I, see, that as a, I see that as a positive, as, as Louisa said. You know, he's talking about the club and he's putting the club before himself. And he, as Louisa said, he's telling everyone that they're signing for Man City. They're not signing for him. And I think that's, that's a positive more than a negative. I know you can read things into anything, but as Nigel said as well, where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? He seems to be a very intense football man. Would an international job suit him? You know, you've not got the day-to-day involvement with players, which I think he loves. You know, you're meeting up five, six, seven times a year, however many times it is. Is that enough for him? Is it enough for him? Um, you know. The, the, the players the players that he's got hopefully you know even if the worst came to the worst and he was to leave I think there's a long-term plan with the club where they're going to carry it on and, and I know people would look at Ferguson and say he'd left and and things have never been the same but you've also got to think the players at United at that time maybe they weren't as good as they have been under Ferguson you know and I think if we set a plan in place and that's what they seem to be doing with with signing up young lads as well as bringing experienced, expensive talent in. If you've got a way of playing and you can carry that on and you've got the players that are coming through as well, there's no reason why someone else can't carry it on. Now, I'm certainly not saying I want him to go. I would like to think that he will certainly stay till they win the Champions League. I would like to think that. Um, again, as Louisa said, with the contracts a few years ago, Alan Pardew signed an eight-year contract at Newcastle. And he was gone after 18 months. So contracts, and it's an old saying, are not worth the paper they're written on a lot of the time. He knows exactly what he wants to do. And um, where else is he going to go where, where he's got everything that he's got at City and the um, talent that he's got and the talent coming through and the finance and the relationship that he's got 
Where are you gonna go? He's not gonna go to France, I wouldn't think. The, the, the league isn't, you know, PSG win it 99 times out of 100. Spain, he's, he's won't probably go back to Barcelona. He's not gonna go to Real or any of the other Spanish clubs. Yeah, it's a very valid point. Um... I mean, as we come towards the end of the podcast here, um, it's probably worth talking a little bit about, you know, the, the Fulham game briefly and, and what's coming up. I mean, the Fulham game yesterday was, uh, in the end, after I, I actually was very impressed with the, the player that's been linked with uh, Liverpool, Carvalho. I thought he was excellent. Um, and I remember watching Monaco when Bernardo Silva was playing for Monaco and saying, they need to look at him. And, and I believe Liverpool were on the verge of signing him for something like five million quid just before the window shut. Should City yeah. be looking at Carvalho? But comfortable victory in the end against Fulham. Brentford on, on Wednesday. Long trip to Norwich. Then the Champions League returns. Um, I mean, we're all, I'm, I'm guessing, very confident about all that. Nigel, where are you seeing City will be in the end of them games? Another lot of straight victories. Yeah, do you know what? First of all, it was it was a good game uh, yesterday. I enjoyed it very much. Um, I know uh, for me, I just want to mention Grealish as well because I do think that uh, Grealish had, especially in the second half, he, he he was great. He started off the game good yesterday, and um, I've been really patient with Grealish because I do believe it's a it's a ridiculous price tag that he came and joined us with. But he is a, a quality player, and it was great to see him. Um, just be a bit selfish uh, for the for the penalty um, third goal wasn't it the penalty he, he the run he made into the box was absolutely incredible he'd made a couple in the first half as well and I thought he played really well it was great to see Stones back in the team and, and he, he got his header um, and it was also amazing to see players like um, Liam Delap. I have the pleasure of, of, of being at the blue carpet watching all the players arrive and watching Pep arrive and it was amazing to see uh, Liam Delap get off the coach yesterday and walk in and you just thought, right, here we go. And, you, you, you know, I'd, not, I'd certainly not forgot about him, but he's been unlucky with injuries this year. And it was great to see him get some minutes. Uh, McAtee as well come on the pitch. And obviously Mares come back um, and, and welcome back from, from his time at the African Nations. But he got two great goals, a brilliant, cool taken penalty and, uh, and uh, amazing work from Kev for the, for the first goal. Uh, laid it on a plate for him but it was a great game yesterday enjoyed it very much and uh, I think we've got Brentford at home uh, that's coming up in midweek and we've got Norwich away which obviously as the games tick by for Norwich towards the end of the season this is probably quite a good time to play Norwich uh, they'll be they'll be really going for it at the end of the season so that, that, that I see that being hopefully a comfortable win uh, and then we've got Spurs at home and Everton away so um, yeah, it's it's good. Keep the games coming. Um, the squad is, is is so strong, and uh, we're we're in a great place and uh, a, a fantastic tie in the FA Cup uh, away at Peterborough as well. So there's a lot to look forward to, and the return of the Champions League as well. So yeah, it's, it's great at the minute. You're in a good mood, I guess, ahead of all this as well, Louisa. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was a really good game for us to play against Fulham. I think it's prepared us nicely for, for those teams that people can sort of flippantly say, oh, they're, they're an easy win or we should win those matches because playing Fulham obviously showed that we shouldn't rest on our laurels and we, we shouldn't just rest back and take things for granted. They Again, I just want to do a little, a little summary like Nigel just did. What an incredible FA Cup tie that was. That was a typically great tie from my 
point of view and I love watching these teams anyway that are in you know sort of lower than us and don't have as much money as us so you see those players like uh, Cavario what an after not just because he scored that goal straight away he was magic all over that pitch so light so deft so thinking the whole game thinking he must have been mentally exhausted last night not just physically um, and not just him you know Cabano played really great um, what was it Mitrovic great stocky player that I still think we're lacking a little bit at Manchester City you know me and you know that I want a bit of strength and, and a bit of a, a you know, giant on the pitch as well I think that always helps um, and, and full credit to Fulham, you know, what a great team, what a risk they took to have given themselves all that width and all that space. They didn't, they didn't pull in, they didn't park the bus, you know, they played us a really great game of football. And, um, you know, I think it did us a world of good. Yeah, we won. Fantastic. Of course, we were relieved that we won. But it's, 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 it's a good little tiny reminder and a good little lesson that, as Pep always says, play the game that you're playing that day so let's try and keep our perspective and let's just take every every game at a time common sense from louisa um i've got to say when the draw was made for the uh the fa cup away at peterborough fifth round as well my memory went back to 1981 tommy booth scoring i know you know tommy very well ian worked with him on match days um and, and i saw a, a a few people talking about it on social media and people saying, were you there, were you there? Not to me specifically, asking each other. And and I thought, do I admit I was there? Because that makes me sound really old, doesn't it? But I was, I was there in, in 1981 watching uh, Tommy Booth score that goal. And there you go, all these years later, back at Peterborough. Um, I'll leave the last word to, to the Brightwell brothers, um, Ian, not Bob to me, Ian <laughs> and, and David. Um just wonder whether there's um, there's some little um, sibling story you can tell us to finish off with. It doesn't have to be about football. It can be anything, you know, something of, of your of your youth that that um, you know might give us a laugh to begin. Is there something? There, might be, there must be something we can dig down to. That's a dangerous <laughs> question, Walmart. Um, well, I know I used to. I used to have a real bad temper on me when I was uh, certainly when I was younger. In the uh, you know before the age of, of ten, and we used to as the three lads, you know, we used to go and play you know football, cricket in the back garden or on the out on the road or, or, or whatever. Um, and I always remembered, you know, if, if you're having a bad time, like anything, you know, you're having the banter and you you're getting grief if you're not doing so well. And I remember once that I'd, I kept getting out. They kept bowling me out at cricket, like Dave and, and Gary, my older brother, and I just, I just lost my rag. And I ended up smashing the wickets down. And I think it was Dave that I chased and like threatening him with the wicket and said I was going to kill him with it. Um, so needless to say, we didn't have much uh, much cricket after that because uh, mum and dad got involved and, yeah, we didn't see a cricket bat for about six weeks. Is so, that why you two yeah. didn't talk in the car during the day <laughs> because of that incident? There was often a, a tennis racket coming over the net towards my head as well if I was... We, we were... Pretty, Ian was probably a little bit better at tennis, but we were quite evenly matched. But if, I, if ever I was winning, the, the, the Donny racket or whatever he had at the time would often come over the net at high speed towards my head. Um, the one I, I, he probably won't thank me for this, the one I'll always remember, Cheesy, was uh, as kids, we used to have 
dad used to shoot air rifles and stuff, so we used to have targets in the garden and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, <laughs> I just remembered what I'm going to say now. Um, so we were out in the garden one day, and he had, Ian had a gun, and, and I said, is it loaded? I was probably seven or eight, and he was probably... So I was probably seven, and Ian was probably ten. And I said, is it loaded? And he said, no. So I'm like, right, so I'm putting it, doing everything correctly, putting it down at the ground, and I've got wellies on, and I pulled the trigger when it was pointing at my welly, and it went off. So I says, I thought you said it wasn't loaded. So he says, oh, I didn't think it was. So anyway, I thought, has that just gone through the welly into my foot? So we sneaked back into the house and got some more pellets and fired it at the welly to see if it was going through. And it did go through the welly. So we're looking at my foot, and I'm thinking, it's a Sunday afternoon, I'm thinking, I don't know if it's gone in. There's no real mark. There's a little bit of a, a bruise sort of thing. But so, so I said to him, what are we going to do? And when we were kids, if you ever got a splinter in your hand or anything like that, you used to put a plaster on it and get some germaline and put the germaline on and everyone used to say, oh, I'll draw the, draw the splinter out. So we go inside and Ian goes to the, we had a medical bag thing and he got, he got some germaline. Um, give me the germaline. We put a plaster on it because he, he obviously didn't want to get into trouble. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, turns out we're eating the Sunday dinner. I start to get upset. It all comes out. Um, I then have to go to hospital, the, the x-ray, and, and there's a pellet in the middle of my foot that, that's just missed a couple of veins and arteries and stuff like that. So dad obviously went, he, he's got Ian's temper really, so he wasn't very happy. I spent a couple of nights in hospital had to have this pellet removed, so my career could have been over at seven before it had even begun. Um, so, yeah, germaline doesn't remove air gun pellets, just for the podcast people to know. Well, I've got to say it's been an absolute joy to have the two of you on the podcast. Um, thanks very much for, for all the time that you've given given us and to the listeners. Um, I'm glad the alarm didn't go off because it's yeah. been well worth having you for the full hour, David. Uh, and Ian, it's always it's always nice to, to talk to you and, and see you around and everything. Nigel, um, normally in these podcasts, you get to speak a lot more than you've done today. I hope you forgive me for not using you as much, but when you've got two great guests like this, Always a pleasure, honestly. Thank you very much, honestly. Pleasure. Loved it. Uh, and same with Louisa. Thanks very much. Great, great guests. Um, of course, um, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, who sponsor the podcast. Um, and really appreciate their their support. Um, but but thanks. Just share the word. Make sure everybody gets to, to listen to this, because it's, uh, although I say so myself, that, that's a great hour of, of proper city chat, that. Um Thanks very much. Uh, there'll be a, a vlog out. If you've not seen the vlog from the game at the weekend, um, I spoke to Imre Varadi about the, uh, the, the old inflatables craze uh, and lots of other stuff as normal. And I'll be out and about at the Brentford game. And we'll do another podcast, of course, next week. So thanks very much for listening. And remember, if you only remember one thing from this podcast, remember this. It's great to be a blue. <laughs>